0: Hello Diet Culture Dropouts. I'm so pleased to be with you again and very excited about today's episode. Okay so first of all I want to say a massive thank you to all of the listeners who are so faithful and loving and uh, I love all your messages and emails so keep them coming. And if you love the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the episodes as they pop out on a roughly monthly basis. And if you love us, give us five stars because the more five star reviews we get, particularly on Apple podcasts, the louder the message is, the more listeners we get and the quicker we can topple diet culture. And that's the objective here. If you're looking for some free stuff to help you with your anti-diet journey, gosh, I hate that word, let's call it an adventure, anti-diet adventure, because that's what it is. It's rocking and rolling, it's up and down, it's it's not predictable. But if you're looking for a resource where you might be going to medical visit, you might be trying to explain just what you're doing to friends and family, look no further than the free ebook. Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit, written by me and the anti-diet advanced doctor, dietitian, Dr. Fiona Willer. In it, we're busting the top 10 myths that float around diet culture, like poo in a swimming pool, about the relationship between health and weight, and we're busting myths left, right, and center. It's a really awesome resource. It's crampled of science and facts and it will really help steal you and give you the armor that you need to push back against diet culture so if you want to grab a copy it's absolutely free like i said you can go to instagram which is untrapped underscore au and click on the link in the bio and grab a copy there or you can go to the website untrapped.com.au and a little uh, pop-up will come and you will grab it there more free stuff. If you are struggling with relationship with your body during the last couple of years in particular, Befriending Your Body is my free e-course all about self-compassion, this amazing skill of being kind and befriending your body. And as a, it's like a, um, a superpower self-compassion because we're all taught from the moment we're born practically to disconnect and dislike and judge and body police ourselves. Not exactly a recipe for, uh, happiness and satisfaction so this little e-course will help build the skill of self-compassion which is absolutely awesome because Mm -hmm. if we can learn to connect with our imperfect bodies we can learn to inhabit them to look after them and to push back against the forces that are still trying to get us separate from them you can find the befriending befriending your body e-course from instagram so untrapped underscore you. click on the link befriending your body it's all free it's beautiful it's just so lovely to practice self-compassion meditations self-compassion is built for difficult times and my friends we're in a difficult time so get hold of that if you haven't already big shout out and hello to all of the untrapped community the masterclass and online community who We meet every week. We push back against diet culture together. We share our stories. We've been supporting each other through the various uh, challenges of lockdown. And it's just a wonderful community of awesome human beings. So if you're struggling and you want to join a community as as well as learning all of the skills of how to do things like intuitive eating, returning to a relationship with moving your body that doesn't feel like hard work, understanding weight stigma and weight prejudice, relationship with body, all of that kind of stuff is covered in this comprehensive course Untrapped, which I co-created in 2017 with 11 other amazing anti-diet health professionals. So if you want to grab a hold of this program and join our online community please do and now's the time we're meeting weekly so every Saturday I meet with the whole community and we have an awesome wag about everything that's going on you also get all of the material and there's other things that happen throughout the year like events and retreats in usual times we are able to do that well, if that's not being scuppered by COVID, of course, but in ordinary times, we do extra stuff. So find out more about Untrapped on the website, untrapped.com.au. You can also find a link from Insta. So I think that's run through all of the preamble. Now we arrive at the exciting time. I am so excited to bring you today's episode. You would have heard of the Fat Doctor UK by now because she sort of burst onto the internet a few months ago and it seems like she's everywhere and she is loud and she is angry and she's a GP. So here we have a very fierce, fat-positive voice Straight out of the UK medical profession, which is sorely needed, and I've just got so much admiration for um, Natasha and everything that she's doing. And I was actually listening to the Mindful Dietitian podcast when I first heard Natasha being interviewed by the wonderful Fee Sutherland. And during that conversation, she mentioned an awful situation in the UK where two kids were removed from their family for being fat. And I'd actually seen that story and was so horrified that I'd kind of shelved it away. But hearing Natasha talk about it and what she decided to do about it herself, it just inspired me. I just knew I had to talk to her. So this episode is everything. It's a long one and it's it's a bloody roller coaster. We go a lot of places during this epic fantastic conversation. So you are going to laugh. You are going to cry. You're going to cry more than once because I know I did. You're going to be absolutely furious because just what what we're talking about is just so horrific. We are in the 21st century and kids are being removed from loving homes simply because of um, BMI and a failure to do the impossible, which is lose weight and keep it off via the epic fail of dieting. So look, this is really a challenging episode to listen to. It's a horrible story, but the conversation with the the fat doctor, Natasha herself is nothing short of inspiring. This woman is on a crusade. She has got heaps of other people involved in changing the landscape in a meaningful way. She is a real champion in the UK and across the planet. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, but have some tissues close by and keep your slow breathing going to help contain the rage because it's real. So without further ado, I give you me and the fat doctor herself, Natasha Lamy. So Tash, thank you so much for coming on
1: the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, due to the time difference, it's past midnight now and I've never been this awake past midnight before, so I'm really looking forward to this talk. Oh my
0: God, I am so <laughs> impressed with your, your fired-upness. <laughs> Tell me what is firing you up. Um, just in general
1: or specifically about this case, because obviously a lot of things are firing me up, but I mean yes. obviously we want to talk about this particular case that's firing me up. So,
0: Yes, what is this case?
1: Yeah, what's going on with this case? So I think it was back in September, October last year that it happened, but I became aware of it a few months later where a two young people, one was actually over the age of 16 and his sibling, his younger sibling is under the age of 16, had been removed from a very loving home, for all intents and purposes, a very loving, happy home and placed into foster care by a judge simply because they were fat. And there is really no other reason at all. There was no other signs of child abuse, neglect, physical abuse, emotional abuse, nothing. Mm. It's just because they were fat and they failed to lose weight, a judge removed them from a loving home and placed them in the care, in foster care. And the older sibling, I think he's 16, 17, didn't actually have to go in because he was too Mm. old. And the younger girl, she's 13, and she was removed from her home. And... (sighs) When I read about it, I think I was so disgusted. It sort of broke, you know, one newspaper reported on it in the UK and it it was several weeks later, I guess, because the court transcript had come out. Mm. And I read it, I read the article and I just thought, well, this is just the press over-exaggerating. And then someone said, one friend of mine sent me a text message saying, no, 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 just read the court transcript, transcript, read it. And sent me a link to the court transcript. I read the whole thing And within an hour, I think I read the whole thing and I was in tears. I was so full of rage Mm. that I just felt like something had to be done, started a petition, have tried really hard to get answers, to push, you know, push people to to look into this case, but unfortunately haven't got very far because we're dealing with people who have very much kind of shut us down and have said it's it's not your concern. This is a judge who made this decision and there's nothing you can do about it.
0: Really? So I'm pretty fired up. Yeah. (sighs) God, oh, I mean, when you say it out loud, like my whole body is responding. Then mm. I read the court transcripts last night. I put it off because I knew mm. that I just probably would have a massive reaction. I, I was crying too because this mm. transcript is literally fucking heartbreaking. That they're all admitting that this is no one wants to be split up. They love each other. But yep. there's this stupid idea as if everybody is completely unaware of science and weight mm. science and how fucked dieting is, yeah, and how it doesn't fucking work. No, and I, and it's in a pandemic. Yeah, they failed yeah. to lose weight in a lockdown when the world Do was going mad. And. I mean, actually, the
1: story begins, I think, 10 years previously. The story begins when they were three and six. These were two children, a three-year-old and a six-year-old, who were picked up most likely because, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but in the UK, we have a screening programme. So in year one, which is between the age of five and six, you are weighed and measured by a school nurse. And they yeah do you not have that no No. we have this is the national um child measurement program there's a acronym that I didn't bother to learn but it it happens in year one which is when you're um between five and six and again in year six which is when you're between 10 and 11 two of the worst times to weigh people if you think Mm -hmm. about it because of course especially around the 10 11 stage some Mm -hmm. people are heading towards puberty pre-puberty some people are not And Mm -hmm. so those that are heading towards pre-puberty will often have gained quite a bit of weight because you know that always happens before you go through puberty. You kind of go out before you go up and that's completely normal, but they get penalised. But anyway, so I imagine, I don't know because that's not actually in the transcripts, but I'm guessing that at six, the oldest sibling the boy mm-hmm. was shown to be grossly overweight or whatever they call it, morbidly obese. They probably measured oh. his BMI, even though he was six, they probably measured it, uh, which is just ridiculous because that's not what BMI is for. Oh. And, you know, rather than looking at growth charts, which is what we should be doing at that age, they they will have just sent a letter home and the teachers would have got involved and somewhere along the lines, social services will have been calls oh. just because of the weight nothing else just because of the weight and it's social because services
0: of the percentile of a bmi
1: that was all it was it was it was just weight there was there was literally no concerns have ever been raised about these kids apart from their weight and at the age of three and six social services got involved and started forcing these children to diet And they will say that's not what they did. They tried to promote healthy eating. But when you take a three-year-old and a six-year-old and you tell them you restrict what they eat, Mm. you force them to exercise and you tell them there's something wrong with them, you are putting them on a diet at the age of three to six. And we know for Mm. for sure with evidence, you know, I know, and everyone listening should know by now that when you put young children on a diet like that at such a young age and you make such a big deal out of their weight, they are going to develop disordered eating patterns and they are going to gain weights
0: they're going to say so, that's a, a trauma process happening that's trauma. yeah trauma that's, to it. get child pro, pro, protective services uninvolved yeah and
1: we're there <laughs> for 10 years and then 10 got years. got to the stage where They took the proceedings further and further so that, you know, they kept getting more and more involved. And eventually they decided to make this a child protection issue. So up until that point, child social services were involved. But then about a year before the court proceeding or something like that, before the Mm -hmm. pandemic, what happened then was that they gave these children a set amount of time to lose weight. And they, you know, they they enforced it. They bought them Fitbits so that mm. they could monitor how much exercise they were doing. They bought them gym um, subscriptions. They sent them to Weight Watchers. Oh, um,
0: fantastic. Because we, <laughs> <of works. course. laughs> we know that works.
1: We know that works. And, of course, as you said, it was during a lockdown. So, so Corona hits and, you know, there was, there was lockdown. There was, schools were closed. And, you know, it was, for us, was, was really quite a difficult time. And in spite of all of that,
0: Oh, when the, the children it.
1: failed to lose weight, the judge decided that it was in their best interest to remove them from their loving parents. And Dad, from what I can tell from the court transcripts, I don't know if you noticed this as well, I think Mum was trying very hard to be as yeah. compliant as possible. She
0: was. And even she
1: lost weight, right, the poor yes. thing? But I think Dad was, Dad almost seems to be trying to protect them, sort of saying, this is ridiculous, you can't mm. take my kids away just because of their weight. Yeah. And I, and I, it
0: seems like he was in denial, which I yes. fully understand.
1: I would be too. I would be out aged and it sounds like this young girl I I don't know much about the boy but from what I can see from the transcripts this young girl Mm. really became quite sort of sad and and low and depressed and obviously shockingly enough her self-esteem has been completely ruined by this process
0: I I really saw that in the transcript like this poor little girl was so depressed Mm. and and getting bullied and and in the transcript the way that that is attributed to her size and not what abuse they're inflicting on this right. family
1: yeah really quite shocking and then of course the other thing you probably noticed from the transcript is there is no expert testimony at this court no. proceeding none whatsoever there is no psychologist i mean actually the only, there
0: was you know there was i, I did that um, doctor um yes
1: you're right. There was a psychologist, and you're absolutely right. Uh, she was not an eating disorder specialist or a, she was just a psychologist. She's, just, she's a clinical
0: psychologist, Dr. Van Ruyen, and she's based yes. in Kent. Yes. And she does court reports for child abuse. Right. Yes. And I can see her weight stigma in there. She's at, on the one hand um, acknowledging that the kids don't want to go, that the kids have will, will suffer mentally from being removed, But you can also see her unexamined weight stigma, and that you're right. Where the hell are the weight scientists saying actually it's biologically impossible Mm. to lose weight and maintain it? Because Mm. in the transcripts, they do mention that the kids have lost weight, failed to keep it off. Like exactly, exactly.
1: And you're just shocking to me that that there would be such lack of understanding Mm -hmm. and no desire to to actually. Establish the science or the facts behind this. You know, if I was a judge, I'm not a judge, I'm not an expert, but if I was a judge and I was making a decision to remove a child from a home based purely on the child's inability to lose weight, I would want to find out if it was possible that this child simply couldn't lose weight on their Mm -hmm, own. mm -hmm. I would want to consult experts. I would want to find out if there was a genetic condition. I'm not saying she has a genetic condition. You and I know that she doesn't need to have Mm -hmm. a genetic condition in order to struggle to lose weight. But actually there's, you know, the psychology behind this explains it. But even if you've not got to that stage yet, you know, there was no doctors, there was no dietitians there was no, no, no one was consulted. It was a no. psychologist who had no understanding of these specific issues, who, as you said, was clearly biased there were social workers who said we've done everything we can because we've given them a Fitbit and we've sent them to Weight Watchers and sent them to the gym, but they refused to comply. I know. And that's,
0: that's and that it. was the, it's shocking.
1: Yeah. It strikes me that we live in a world where you just can get away with this. You you know, mm. it is just universally accepted that being fat is bad that's and it right. is awesome. Mm. It's also your your fault your responsibility the blame lies you know solely on the individual even if that individual is a three-year-old child it is and if it's not the child then of course it's the parent you know the Uh, parent uh, has done something wrong
0: specifically the mother okay
1: the mother yeah the the
0: one with the penis okay let's not talk about him because that was absent it was the mum, and the only possibility that that was examined in this is that it's mum's fault for not being compliant like you said Mm. that's the only thing nothing else like the whole method is a stink fest of Mm. ineffective bullshit
1: and there's the one in the transcript when they talk about the fact that she had um ice cream or chips or
0: something in the house you know that's Um, miss Keeley, the social worker who went in and judged them and did you notice that she took different scales in during that last visit that last visit that was going to determine whether or not they'd be removed she took different scales in Mm. and weighed them and they they say look we we acknowledge that 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 could have like screwed up the results but we're not gonna like we're just gonna push on with removal yeah it was their agenda it was yeah it's terrifying and it's not it's long-term foster care for this poor little girl Mm. who doesn't want to leave her mom I'm so fired up about this because the impact of removing yourself from your home Because of your body. How on earth is this poor kid going to be okay?
1: This is my worry. How is mum? going to be mm. okay how is that boy going to be okay and and how is that young impressionable girl you know I mean I mean mm. my, my my oldest son is is a little bit older my younger son is a little bit younger she's sort of literally in between the two and I'm watching what the last few years or last year and a half has done to them in terms of their yeah. mental and emotional well-being and for me we, even without social services involvement my children's mental health has deteriorated massively mm. and I cannot even begin to comprehend what this poor girl is going through i cannot imagine how traumatized she is and i cannot see how is she ever going to get over this because she's been going through it since she was three and it is Mm. it's not at the hand of a parent It's at the hand of a social worker. It was the social worker's negligence. And Mm -hmm. what's interesting is a lot of social workers and people who work in social services have reached out to me since I first talked about this case. And they have all said the same thing. The amount of weight stigma in social services in the UK is shocking. Mm -hmm. It is shocking. It is perfectly acceptable to call parents abusers just because their children are overweight. No other race... Just just your child is over the limit, is on the 90th percentile or whatever it is, your child is overweight and therefore you as a mother, usually as you say, it's a mother, are an abusive mother because you've brought your child up in a loving environment, but they fail to look the way that you want them to look. That's okay. it.
0: So that's me, right? My eldest is in the 99th percentile. So I am an abuse. I'm a child abuser. Yeah. Child right? abuser. Okay, I can't,
1: believe, so. I'm talking to one. I can't <laughs> believe I'm talking to one. And, and you know, the irony my son's been really poorly recently, and he's been up and he's, I mean, we've spent most of our life in the hospital the last few weeks and yeah. uh, went to see a pediatrician and they did the height and weights. And he is on the 98th centile. My son has a 28 inch waist. He mm. is a skeleton at the moment mm. because he's been really ill, but he's mixed race. And we all know that the BMI is not he's particularly racist. useful anyway, yeah. but it's massively yeah. racist. So my children have always been if you weigh them, a lot heavier than they look because, I mean, he's, there isn't an an ounce of fat on him. Mm -hmm. My point is that BMI is complete, utter bullshit and just it doesn't deserve to exist. it The fact that we've been using up until now is is shameful, and mm. as a doctor, I cannot accept that we use this as a measure of whether a person is healthy, and certainly mm. as a measure of whether a child is healthy. Because you know, until recently, we were told you don't do BMIs on anyone under the age of sixteen, but that's just gone out the window now. Everyone gets a BMI. You get a BMI. you get a BMI. You get a BMI.
0: But you know, it, it's not supposed to be used for an individual anything. It's a population level statistic and a
1: pretty crappy one at that it's because like you said one. Yes. it's it's based on white european men it's not particularly useful for women it's not particularly useful for any other race it's just useful perhaps mm. even when it came out like even when what's his face i forget his name right now ansel keys when he did yes. that study that mm. first looked brought into the bmi into sort of our medical world as it were you know even he said at the time well it's all right it's not the best it's not the worst mm. it will do yeah. it's the best out of the bunch i mean he didn't even have much enthusiasm at the time he said specifically it's not meant to be used as an individual assessment and even the guy who kind of didn't invent it but you know he he sort of invented it as a measure of quote unquote obesity and and yet and even he didn't have much good stuff to say about it you know mm. if he was selling the latest iphone we, apple would have a lot to say about that so <laughs> you know i just this 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 fact that we've become obsessed and we know why this is we know this is because of the diet industry we know this is because of people trying to make money out of us and yeah. succeeding very successful at it's making money hot, out of us it's
0: actually terrifying how successful this is because, mm. you know, when I read this transcript, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of work against um, the Novo Nordisk impact mm. and how our modern O narrative has been essentially created by the pharmaceutical company that's yeah, yeah. producing all of the weight loss drugs. They have like 80% of the weight loss drugs market, and they've shamelessly said in their marketing that this is their drive to increase it's it's um to to create a sense of urgency right. for the medical management of <laughs> obesity and here it is this is where it leads because they're telling us this bullshit that it's going to reduce stigma no it's going to create eugenics mm-hmm. you know this this yeah. is this is hideous what's happening here and i can't believe that the world didn't stop and that the front page of newspapers aren't saying like get fucked Get like yeah. these kids back. There's yeah. no outrage.
1: No, there was none whatsoever. I mean, we got just over two thousand people supporting the petition, and as grateful as I am for that, that's just what the fuck. Like, that's two thousand people I live in a country of sixty-eight million, and oh. only two thousand people had something to say about this. Oh. And you know. We—that's how much we hate fat kids and how much we hate fat people. We—we d- we just don't see them as—as you know—as worthy. And—and you know, as and, and, you know no, nobody wants to defend this young girl. Nobody sort of feels sorry for her. And I—I—I and I, I just—you know—I can't get my head around this whole thing. It's funny because I—I I didn't really know about it I, a year ago. I—I I was completely clueless. It's all happened rather quickly for me that I've begun to understand Hayes and begun to understand who Nova Nordis was, you know, and mm-hmm. what they are doing and what semaglutide actually is and how it's going to completely change the world as we know it I think this particular drug is going to become part of popular culture in the same way that Viagra is you know we we use that word now in in novels and in movies it's so popular and so understood nobody talks about I don't know give me a name of any drug like some blood pressure Mm -hmm. medication Then they don't talk about it in the same way they talk about Viagra but semaglutide is going to be that next drug because they have tapped into this incredibly large population of people who are desperate to lose weight mm-hmm. and they've got this medication that was originally used to treat diabetes just like viagra was originally used to treat blood pressure mm-hmm. and and have said wow look at this amazing side effect it makes people lose weight as long as you're on it let's mm-hmm. market this and the fda approved it i mean no knowing- no, no thought as to whether or not this drug is going gonna, is gonna to have a massive impact on people in their insulin resistance and whether they're going to develop diabetes down the line. I don't think they care. I don't think anybody uh-huh. actually cares. Uh-huh. I think it's just that everybody is happy. Woohoo, another way to treat fat people and, makes, and make a good yeah. deal of money out of it.
0: Right. So semaglutide is the it's uh, the latest weight loss drug to be approved yes. by the FDA from Novo Nordisk and it is like the mark II. so they were selling Saxenda. Saxenda's yeah. here in Australia they're pushing yeah. that and the Semaglutide is like the mark two like I think of like Saxenda as like Jan Brady and Semaglutide <laughs> is like Marsha because <laughs> It's like, oh my God, look at some magnitude. Look at this amazing like one year trial. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Like, oh my God, we can make so much weight loss happen from yeah. this this uh, intervention. Like, why? Yeah. Why do we need all of this weight loss, all these percentages? They're like, oh, we can lose 15% and 20% and like yeah. we don't need to for health, but okay.
1: Yeah, the other thing that we have to remember about it, I don't think it's actually that much better. I mean, I've used all of these drugs in treating Mm -hmm. diabetes. For many years, I, I, I use these drugs. The beauty of it, of course, is that it's a tablet. And sex ender is an injection, right? I'm assuming you have the injectable form,
0: yeah. That's right. It, you have yeah. to inject um, yes. and it's very expensive.
1: It's extremely yeah. expensive, as as will Marsha. Marsha Brady will be more expensive, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: so high um, maintenance. But,
1: <laughs> absolutely. But she is easier to administer. A lot of people don't like the idea of injecting themselves, but taking a tablet is dead easy. So that's what sort of makes this special, as it were, because it's the only one of that whole family. That is not that is um, oral as opposed to injectable. Well, that's interesting um,
0: because the paper that that with all of the big shiny weight loss was injectable. It was a tablet.
1: Oh really? Oh, but they're they're marketing it as the as the oral version. Definitely, that's the one that's got approved. Its called, brand name is um, Wagovi. Oh no,
0: I, well, I have a completely different brand name. Is it different maybe in Australia? Well, this is in America. In Australia, they haven't uh, cornered us yet. I'm sure oh. that they're trying to do it. But it was oh, the so FDA it's... approval for Wagovi. with it.
1: Okay, so they, they've changed the, so they've obviously changed the name. That's not the same one we use in diabetes. Clearly, they've had to revamp it a bit. Irrespective of of oral, injectable, whatever, I think that this is this is going to, you know, neighbor Nordisk is sitting on a gold mine, and they know, they know it. it. Uh, and, and it's going to change our lives I think because bariatric surgery is quite a big thing and um it's it's something that people often will say I'm not keen on doing and the uptake mm-hmm. is quite low still and so uh, in, bariatric, in
0: the UK, not here yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: but bariatric surgeons are probably very afraid right now because this this drug's coming along and taking all of their business actually away you know them. what
0: Nova we're doing right. they're partnering with the bariatric surgeons uh, and they're they saying to them hey you know let's use your kind of power and kudos and mm-hmm. our drugs can help your your patients when they start to regain <laughs> oh and my gosh it's um it's like literally gateway drug once you start using a drug to reduce your weight you have medicalized your weight yeah. and it's it's a, it's a small upsell from there so, so I think this is all part of a giant kind of marketing genius that is mm. Novo Nordisk. But yeah. I'm interested to hear like your concerns because I'm concerned as well with the use of diabetes drugs for as weight loss medications and I've read about it being that they're hoping that people will take this drug like we take statins. So like mm. everyone will take it <laughs> preventatively, for the rest of their lives. Like, what's the long term impact, do you think, of taking a double dose of a diabetes drug when you don't have diabetes?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, they don't know. Nobody knows because they've only done a study for a year. And just how many diet drugs have we put out there into the universe since the 1970s and then taken them back a few years later because we've gone, oh, this kill people? if you've got diabetes and you take this drug because you've got insulin resistance and this drug helps you to combat your insulin resistance in the, in the way that it works you've already got diabetes and so there is no risk of you developing diabetes and this drug does work and so i have no issue with the glp1 analogs in the in their use in diabetes uh, i You know, I think they're all all the diabetes drugs are important, and I'm not an expert. But you've really got to ask yourself: if you take a healthy body Mm -hmm. and you act on a a system within the pancreas and within the body, within that is that in in a healthy, essentially healthy body, healthy pancreas, you've got to ask yourself if they're it's going to worsen insulin resistance over time, and it's actually going to lead to increased cases of diabetes. Now they say it won't, but
0: how did I know um, that? Because I read a study by um, Novo sponsored in rats that showed that it did lead to insulin resistance long term right i think
1: common sense because we understand that the way that the body works just common sense when you look at the you know the way the body works suggests to me that over long periods of time taking this medication in a healthy person is going to lead to increased insulin resistance, which in turn will lead to diabetes. That is what common sense dictates. But of course, as you said, we don't know. We don't have a study. Nobody has looked into this. I just, and it makes me sad that we are using a drug to treat a condition that isn't a condition (laughs) (laughs) and inadvertently potentially giving people a whole creating an actual medical condition which we all know to be life-threatening if untreated and so I cannot fathom why well I can I understand it's for financial reasons only but I can't understand why there are doctors out there that want to prescribe this you know this is the this is the issue that I have I'm a doctor and I, I can't speak on behalf of drug companies or politicians or anyone else but I can speak to what doctors are supposed to be doing. And we have a very strong... Code of conduct that we have to abide by. We have we have ethical and moral principles and legal obligations to our patients. And so, doing no harm and be doing what is in your patient's best interest, and pa- practicing fairly and without discrimination, and giving people allowing them to make an informed choice mm. where they are aware of the risks and the the side effects and all the different treatment options. When it comes to being fat, again, it seems to have gone out the window. Like out none the of window. these things that happen. I mean, we. Mm. we We wouldn't dream of addressing other issues this way. It's just fatness Mm. because it's just so commonly widely accepted that fatness is bad Mm. and got to do whatever you can to get rid of it. I've had someone tell me today that they are pregnant with their first child and they had their first conversation with an anaesthetist who told them they had to do whatever they could to lose weight before they had their baby. This is a pregnant woman.
0: Whatever they had to do.
1: Whatever they had to do. And she said, what do you want me to do? Buy drugs off the street?" And the anaesthetist (laughs) said, wait, wait for it. The anaesthetist said it would be safer for you to use class A drugs than it would for you to be fat in pregnancy. (gasps) The anaesthetist said that to this woman. She told me this and I just went, please just can you just report him? Just Shut report the him. front door. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, first of all, that's not true. Second of all, he is saying that it is better to be a drug addict than to be a fat person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is no judgment on drug addicts, but you do not tr- encourage your patients to use Class A drugs to lose weight. I mean, that's stupid. Imagine if he'd said that about anything else. But in his, and it was a man in his world for whatever reason it's like his his
0: ethics just abandons them all in favor of fat shaming a woman this is where we're at with with the, it's so unexamined like it's yeah. it's it's like there's a massive sort of like yeah. black hole yeah. <laughs> of right. of of stigma just operating unchallenged effortlessly and actually growing thanks to this yeah. massive marketing department novo yeah. it's terrifying i can't that poor lady i'm so glad she's found you and I hope she's not gonna go down the class a drug route <laughs> she's definitely and... not but she's she was quite traumatized so you know it, she, she she, I want,
1: she's on a Facebook group that I started and it's great because it's 500 people who are just just okay. so supportive of each other and yeah and like but you know it, it was within a few minutes 50 comments you know going what a load of crap I can't believe this you're great this doctor's terrible but it just shocked me that 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 one of my colleagues would dare, would have the audacity to do mm. something as negligent as that. And I'm gonna call it what it is, that's negligence. But I'm seeing it all the time. I'm seeing it all the time. And I'm seeing it in healthcare, I'm seeing it in social services, I'm seeing it in schools, I'm seeing it in 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 you know in the workplace. I'm seeing it everywhere. Mm. We we you cannot escape it. And mm. as a as a fat as a fat person, you know, who who is, you know, in the morbidly super, super fat, super obese stage, you know, where she's just, mm-hmm. you know, basically needs to just be put down. Look like oh at you know, like an, an oh
0: old Oh my gosh, I'm so it's awful. If,
1: And as as that person, you know, I hear all of these things and I just think, actually, I'm I'm actually a fairly useful member of society. I've actually never been ill, never required any medication, managed to give birth to my children, actually, to be fair, they had to come out of my zip as opposed to through Mm. the tunnel. But that wasn't because (laughs) I was fat, that was because they were awkward. But, you know, this anaesthetist telling this woman that, you know, she's too fat to, to have a baby. I was just like, but I'm the same weight, you know, I'm the same BMI as you. and I had three and I had no problems with my anaesthetics. In fact, after my third cesarean Section. I walked out of the hospital twenty four hours later. You know, yeah, happy wow. as Larry, didn't have any problems. So, and I know people who were very, very thin that had massive problems after their caesarean. So, this there's not even evidence to show how dangerous it is to be have a BMI over thirty five and still and then caught and with mm-hmm. when it comes to an, an anesthetic. This isn't even evidence based. It's just mm. it's just superstition at this point it's, in time. It's
0: a biased based. Yeah, and the guidelines here in Australia say I think above. 35 women are advised to have a caesar because it's too no. dangerous and women are not allowed to give birth in rural hospitals they have to yeah. fly to um, yeah. major cities so she imagine did. all of, and, and don't even get me started on bias in medical care for women it's everywhere like you said and it's unexamined and you know yeah. all of this kind of discrimination in the name of apparently healthcare. yes it, it just it's scary it really is gosh you've got so you've got me fired up it's almost okay, one good. in the morning and I'm fired up <laughs> I'm never gonna get to sleep now <laughs> so okay I don't want to tell you this but I will because we're talking about how how on earth is this possible like why weren't there any medical experts involved mm-hmm. to talk about this from a scientific basis and I'm worried that even if they did yeah. have medical people in the courtroom right they wouldn't have actually stuck up for the kid. I found this JAMA article from 2011. It's a commentary on whether or not large kids should be removed from their families. Oh, gosh. And it was supportive of that. And of it was. In response to that commentary, the MedPage, um, which is like a medical website, uh, mm-hmm. newsletter kind of thing, they did a poll of health professionals asking should larger kids be mm-hmm. removed from their families. And 54% said yes. Of course. I know. Isn't that dreadful? I just. One comment on that said, it seems to me that children in a home where they have become morbidly obese might be suffering many other kinds of abuse as well. Mm-hmm. Viewing I in the size of a child, because we've all gotten bigger since the 80s, we're a larger population, and viewing that as abuse. And as a Mm. fault of parenting. Yeah. Unbelievable. I also had a little dig around Australia because it's not isolated. In the UK, there's been many more cases. They have. And I think actually in the UK it might be a lot more common than in Australia.
1: Yeah, I can believe that.
0: But it did happen here in in 2012. There was um, some media reports of two children being removed from their families because of the size of the kids. (laughs) And it was like the media coverage was actually quite dreadful. I'll put in the show notes this article and it's the, the title is Victorian Authorities Remove Obese Children Removed From Their Parents. So even the title is like wrong because like mm. couldn't even get their semantics right. There's a picture, you can imagine what picture
1: would um, the company. Well, of course, it, it can't be of the actual children because that would be a bit late mm-hmm. to the law. So assuming it's a belly, is there a belly, is there a fat person in it or a
0: fat child eating a burger? Yes. Ah, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah, it's either the
1: belly or the fat person eating the burger. So a fat child yeah. eating the burger, sorry. Look,
0: yeah. Helpfully, yeah. to help the visually impaired, the picture has a yep. caption and the of caption course. reads... Overweight brother and sister sitting side by side on a sofa, eating takeaway food and watching the TV. (laughs) So not at all stereotyped. Very sensitive, nuanced article, this one. And then we hear from uh, Professor John Dixon, who is a big part of Obesity Inc. here in Australia. He told the ABC that sometimes taking children away from their parents is the best option. (laughs) In the same article, he also admits there's no services available that can actually help kids lose weight. And he says that it's not the parents' fault. Helpfully, this article also states that obesity is the leading cause of illness and death in Australia. <laughs> I loved. I love it when I hear that. How have mm-hmm. they
1: figured that out? Like, what do they do to decide that? Where does well, they this? They don't
0: have to provide any actual evidence, right?
1: They just say it. <laughs> Got it. Just say it. Right.
0: They. Uh, and I yeah. checked. Just to make sure, because in case I'd missed anything. Yeah. The top five causes of death in Australia in 2019, heart disease. Number two, dementia. Number three, stroke. Number four, malignant neoplasm of trachea bronchial lung. Lung cancer. Lung cancer. That's lung cancer. Yeah. And number five, chronic lower respiratory disease.
1: So um, translation, heart attacks, dementia in the uk it's actually dementia first mm-hmm. and then heart attacks it's dementia heart attack stroke same thing in the uk and then lung cancer and copd both of those are smoking related mm-hmm. illnesses mm-hmm. and and i can say quite safely that they are smoking related illnesses because the chance of developing lung cancer or copd if you haven't smoked it's minuscule mm-hmm. so um what what people are doing is they're saying well we can attribute all of these sort of heart attacks and strokes and dementia to Obesity, quote unquote, obesity. And the way we can do that is we just look at all these people that have died. And if they're fat, we'll just assume it's their fat that caused their heart disease. To make it very clear to everybody that is listening, if you have a BMI of 40, we can calculate your risk of developing a heart attack or a stroke over the next 10 years using a very sophisticated calculator, actually. It's been around for some time. It's what we use in the UK. I'm assuming Australia has a similar one. Don't know what it's called there. In the UK, it's called a Q-Risk. So I've done this. I have calculated i have found a woman i called her jane i gave her um, a set of sort of blood pressure and cholesterol and i filled in the template and then i gave her a bmi of 20 and then i gave her a bmi of 40 mm-hmm. and i calculated the difference in her risk i calculated the difference in her risk and the difference in her risk was exactly 3% the difference in her risk if she was a smoker was 50% she was 50% more likely to have a heart attack if she was a smoker, but only 3% more likely to have a, a heart attack if she had a BMI of 40 instead of a BMI of 25. Mm-hmm. To put it into perspective, she was significantly more likely to have a heart attack if she was a migraine sufferer, if she had a mental health condition, if she had lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, if she was Asian, if she was a man. <laughs> <and> <laughs> all of those things dramatically increased her risk more than having a BMI of 40 so it's just very important that doctors will admit because it's about admitting to a simple fact this calculator we use to predict people's risks so if we know that weight only has a three to four percent impact on our cardiovascular risk as opposed to smoking which has a 50 percent impact as opposed to aging which is Mm. why most people die because they get old and let's face it everybody dies sometime so what's happening is the or whoever they are are taking all these deaths from heart mm-hmm. disease which was likely caused by the person aging by the person being male or you know just mm-hmm. being old and, and and being over the age of 75 your risk of heart disease goes up massively irrespective of your weight mm-hmm. so instead of saying well It's just heart disease. They've gone well. It's heart disease in a fat person, and therefore it was the fatness that caused the heart disease, and that is offensive to me. To the point that now, (laughs) I have heard, and this is awful. In this year, our patients that are dying of COVID, if they die of COVID in the UK, it's actually quite heartbreaking because it's happened to someone that I was close to. If they die of COVID in the UK and they happen to be fat, the doctor writes obesity on their death certificate. No way as a cause of death they died of covid what they died of covid that's what they died of they died of this terrible virus that is killing people in their droves but people are under the misguided impression that being fat predisposes you to death from covid which is not true it's not Mm. true that is a complete gross misrepresentation of the facts but we've now got doctors placing that on a person's death certificate can you imagine Mm. how that family Mm. feels that can is, you imagine what it feels like to get this lef- this death certificate saying your family member is dead from covid but it's, it's their fault because they were obese and how can the doctor know how could the I, doctor know that how can they do that how can they do that? And this is my point. This doctor that's turning around and saying it's safer for children to be removed from their loving home. Obviously, this person mm-hmm. has no idea of the psychological consequences of being removed from your family. But it's safer for that person to be removed from their home than to remain in their home and remain fat. What will you achieve? Is this person going to lose weight? No. I can tell you what this person is going to do. They this person even is going say to develop- that.
0: They even yeah. say that in the transcript. Like, we don't think that, that you're going yeah. to get any more supervision.
1: Yeah. In fact, Mm. you're going to get less supervision because it's not a loving parent. You're going to develop most likely an eating disorder. You're going to develop serious psychological scars. That trauma is going to lead to mental health problems down the line. And chances are you're just going to get bigger. You're not going to get smaller because we know that 95% of people who lose weight gain it all back again. We know that two thirds of them end up heavier. We know that the more you diet, the the heavier you're going to get. Mm. And that actually, this has been shown to be like a dose response. Response thing in in some studies. So, the more diets you go on, the the higher your weight's going to get. If you don't diet ever in your life, chances are you're not going to have as as many weight problems later Mm. on down the line. Mm. So, Mm. you know, as you say, we are living in a society that's got fatter, and there's lots of reasons for that. It's got to do Mm. with the food that we're eating now, that we're all eating, that we're all consuming. Food supply.
0: Only some of us will express from there the epigenetic glory of becoming higher weight. right, Right
1: and that's the thing isn't it genetics hormones Mm. trauma medications how many people do i know that are on psychiatric medications and have gained weight as a result and i thought they're on clozapine or you know that's it's just Mm. what's going to happen you name it you know being female having babies so many things will determine your weight
0: we're allowed to get we're supposed to get bigger as we get older
1: And then you know that actually there are so many studies nowadays, so many studies that we've we've labelled it now, that show that actually being fat can be beneficial to you. There's studies that show that if you end up in ICU with sepsis, you're far more likely to survive if you're fat. If you've Mm. got BMI over theft, you're more likely to survive. There's studies that show that if you have chronic kidney disease and you're on dialysis, the chances of you surviving more long-term are significantly higher if you're fat. Heart failure, kidney disease, ICU admissions. In fact, even after a heart attack, there's evidence mm. to show that you're more likely to survive if you're fat. Mm. And we call pe- we call this the obesity paradox. <laughs> we have to call it a paradox <laughs> because we cannot for one moment admit that actually there's a possibility that being mm. fat isn't all that bad for you in the first place and yeah. we got it wrong. Rather than admit that we got it wrong, we label it a paradox because yeah. we have to be right here. We have yeah. to. It's like it's
0: totally t- bad and wrong except in yeah. like certain rare, weird conditions as opposed right. to. Let's just drop the judgment and and look at all of this much less hysterically. Yeah. And studies have shown that putting children on a diet, talking
1: about weight, Mm -hmm. weight shaming them, weighing them, any of these things have been linked to and have been demonstrated to cause disordered eating and be a serious risk factor for weight gain. And that in, in my opinion, is the important thing to remember in this particular mm. case, because yeah. as I said, social services started weight shaming, judging, mm. and talking about weight when this child, these children were three and six, and they did that for ten years. And in doing so, mm. they are responsible yeah. for the fact that these children went on to gain weight, because that's what the evidence shows. And there's mm. no question about this evidence. There was multiple papers to back it up. Back it up. There's an article published in JAMA in 2016. There was an article published last year by university of cambridge and the you know even the american academy of paediatrics agrees that talking about weight putting children on a diet in fact even a parent going on a diet is enough Mm. to damage that child and increase their risk of developing disordered eating patterns and weight gain and so as far as i'm concerned that to me is evidence enough to say that it's actually social services that Mm. should be in front of a, a judge not these children but it's the social workers that should be held to account. And, I have written, and I, I, I this is something that is very important to say, I wrote to the council, the local authority, and I wrote, my, I wrote them a very long letter. I've published it on my website. You can read it anytime. anyone can read it. And I wrote to them and I said, this is the evidence. Here are all the links. As far as I'm concerned, you guys got it terribly wrong and you have demonstrated that there is a high degree of weight bias that is mm-hmm. actually causing damage to children. I am yeah. prepared to come and train you for free. And teach all of your social workers all about weight bias, weight stigma, and to basically dispel the myths that obviously are pervading your your social work department. And they ignored me. I wrote to politicians in the area. They ignored me. I wrote to a councillor who's a member of my political party who just claimed, yeah, well, I'll look into it for you. Never heard from her again. Anyway, so, yeah, nobody a cares.
0: Concern.
1: I didn't even do it in a critical way. I tried to do it in a kind of I will help you. Let me help mm. you. I, I'm offering my services for free. And you know, I, I, I do charge normally, but I'll do it for free for you guys. No one is interested. Mm. Nobody wants to know. And that makes me really sad that they weren't even willing to hear me out. I can't believe Um, they didn't actually even answer you. Didn't answer me. Didn't respond to any of my messages. None of the counselors, none of the, nobody has responded. And I've tried Mm. repeatedly.
0: So this is in in West Sussex. Yeah.
1: That's right. West Sussex. That's right. You
0: know what's weird about that? I've actually attended a wedding at that council that my ex father in law got married there. And when I saw the picture there, I'm like, oh, my God, I've actually been there. <laughs> so I, I had a poke and I don't know if you know this, but hopefully in the future when when those children, C&D, finally decide to sue the council that yeah. they can use this as evidence. There mm-hmm. is a report from a it's called a Commissioner's Progress Report on Children's Services in West Sussex from October mm-hmm. 2020, which details how awful the service has been for the past few years and, like, huge issues with how they're running things Mm. it says quote fragile and unstable services in West Sussex so this family who have had their kids removed Mm. were being cared for by a service with massive Mm. problems they were being Mm. referred to programs that don't work and like there's a massive miscarriage of justice
1: and I'm glad you're talking about it and I'm glad we're talking about (laughs) it and I wish that we had the platform to talk about it sort of more vocally I you know we I want to be able to reach out to these to see it you know patients you know patient they're not patient they're child, child C and D I, I want to be able to reach out to mum as well
0: okay. and say I just want to like land in Sussex and just walk around the street saying where are you I want to have you where chat. are you and let me hug you and, and yes. I and I'm I'm very
1: interested to know be very interested to know the ethnic origin uh-huh. of these okay. young people and the
0: socioeconomic, be... status, socioeconomic of these
1: people. status yeah 100% I would very much like to know that that would make a huge i i, I think that i can guess uh, i'm not going to speculate but um i had a very lovely young woman contact me from a she, she she was now an adult but she had experienced this as a child uh so she had been removed from her home and uh was now an adult and she had been in foster in, in social in foster care in in social services for a few years and had obviously contact with her mum but but hadn't been reunited with her mum ever so it wasn't like it mm-hmm. it was for a time and then she went back and we talked about this she was in a London borough I shall not name the borough but I know for a fact that her race will have played a role in this because she was mm-hmm. half black half Turkish and there were a few things in that court transcript that caught my attention I don't know if you mm. noticed there was a mention of a smell from the kitchen yes yes and they didn't specifically say, you know, mold or you know, that there was mold in the kitchen or there was something in the kitchen, you know, there was rotting something, because I think they would have specified it was just a smell. And that made me wonder, you know, is this to do with just the fact maybe this family lived in poorer housing, or was it the type of food that they were cooking for their children? You know, like, is it is there a language issue? Is that a cultural issue? What what exactly is going on? Because we don't know that from the court transcripts. Mm. So that's another thing that another piece of the puzzle. Or that I would really be interested in, you know, is this is this a, a white wealthy family? Probably not. I, you yeah, know, I, yeah, I don't. It didn't think they didn't strike
0: are. me that way no. either. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is um, potentially marginalisation and racism yes. happening. Yeah. That you know, and here in Australia, we've got an awful history of how we treated First Nations people, and we yeah. we removed Indigenous yeah. kids from their families yeah. In, yeah. On, on the basis of like we know better. Yeah. And and I just I just see elements of that here, like we know better.
1: Yes. Right. This is it. We know mm. better than you how to parent your child. Um I am uh, have always been a big believer of not restricting my children's food in any way. I was mm. restricted and I made a decision when I had the kids that there would just be no restriction at all. I have like been one of those parents that has just been like that's the draw with all the like sweet treats mm-hmm. in it. Um they're not called treats, they're just sweets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. and chocolate and you know there it is. It's within reachable distance. Help yourself whenever you want on ice pops in the freezer there's no like you have to eat that to get your pudding none of that like my kids have just just had been able to eat whatever they wanted whenever they wanted I never restricted yes. anything I wanted them to be intuitive eaters and of course they are and what mm. amazes me is now my teenage son when we were on lockdown and he was like homeschooled he would come downstairs make himself a breakfast and there was like three portions of fruit and veg on his plate and not because Tom told him that he had to but just because he knew it was good for him he knew it was healthy. Mm. There was like a selection. His plate was always multicolored. You know, he was drinking plenty of water. He would go and cook it. He cooked himself lunch. He knew that he <laughs> could eat sweets and crisps and chocolate whenever he wanted to and he didn't he just didn't like you just it was there that draw and yeah. it gets emptied out because it's the color of it but no they don't take it and yeah. sometimes they do because they fancy yeah. it but most of the times they don't and that is my decision as a parent mm-hmm. I believe that I have done what is in their best interest I believe that I will prove over time that this has had a much better impact on their health not absolutely. restricting them no,
0: absolutely but, yeah
1: but the point is they're my children and it was yes. my damn choice yes. and even if my child is on the 98th percentile it, it's Still my damn choice. Nobody gets mm. to tell me how a parent my child. That is my mm. child. I know what's best for them. And I believe that my children are going to prove the fact that this is a great way of parenting. And I mm. know that actually most of their friends who had, you know, were not allowed to eat the food that they wanted to eat, used to come over to our house and just kind of like yeah. wide-eyed yeah. and and they binge. They mm. binge, you know, to yeah. the point that I'd have to restrict them and say, actually, I don't think mum would like
0: that we, if I gave we know that too. That that's what we do when we when we put kids in food deserts we breathe binge eating and food insecurity and trying to teach our kids to have a relaxed and enjoyable relationship with food is what intuitive eating is all about Mm. and without a side salad of fat phobia we're not doing this relationship with food stuff in order to make sure you're thin we're doing this to to make sure that you feel really safe and secure in the world and you know health is sometimes controllable and sometimes not Mm. and you know this kind of mad obsession we have with uh controlling our food and the ability it will give us like everlasting life is weird yeah yeah gosh I'm so glad you're parenting those kids in that way and <laughs> i am noticed the same thing with my kids like my kids we are a family of intuitive eaters and nothing just it's just really relaxed and yeah. there's variety and they yeah. they go through these little love affairs with foods yes. and it's really yes. cute <laughs> <laughs> um and they're developing their palettes and you yes. know and they, their size is not up to me yeah yeah right yeah. It's it's up it, to me
1: to help them thrive that's right And when people talk about health, I often hear people talking about health. And whenever they ask me that question, you know, surely you can agree that being fat is not good for your health. I'll always kind of go, oh, really? Could you just do me a favor here and define health? Uh, Because (laughs) I spend my whole life trying to define health and I'm not sure that I've got there yet. But I can tell you without a doubt that this for me, in my personal experience as a doctor, and I've been a doctor for a long time now, and I see patients all the time. And I'm telling you that in my experience, the most important thing, for your health is your mental and emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. That if you are not mentally and emotionally well, it doesn't matter how good your cholesterol is doesn't matter whether or not you know you've got diabetes that is irrelevant because if you're not mentally emotional, i'm not saying that because you won't enjoy life i mean it has an impact on yes. your physical health it does. and i spend most of my day dealing with either people who are depressed or anxious and that's what they've presented with or they've presented with symptoms that are being made worse or exacerbated yes. By their their mental and emotional poor mental and emotional well-being Mm -hmm. so giving my children the best start in life has always been about giving them a a good mental and emotional well you know Mm -hmm. start it's about giving you know it's not just teaching them resilience but teaching them to love themselves to be to be happy with who they are to not feel judged or to not feel that they are anything other than the brilliant human beings that they are and I believe that that is what's going to stand them in the greatest um in the greatest Mm -hmm. I've lost my words now but that's what's going to get them through life and that's why they're going to be healthy Uh, how much sugar they eat actually is quite irrelevant compared to the fact that they love themselves and their bodies and they are you know great self-esteem and we all know that happiness is happiness is the most important thing when it comes to quality of life and happiness is the most important thing when it comes to
0: length of life and illness all of it happiness trumps everything else and you know what that comes from happiness comes from a sense of belonging belonging in our bodies belonging Mm. in ourselves belonging in the community and all of this othering that's happening with the, yeah. the message that everyone belongs unless they're fat mm. that sucks us and that needs to stop. This yes. poor little kid, you know, when yeah. in the transcript it mentioned that that they, they found a suicide note, yes, and some pills, yeah, and she's fucking like thirteen, yeah, and they called it like, a cry for help. They called it a cry of help because of her body. Yeah. They didn't recognise it since they've been sniffing around threatening to take her off her mum and because she's been bullied for her size at school. Yeah. like This is like like a calamitous failure to see the impact of weight stigma. She's
1: been told that it's her fault that she's been taken away from her mum. They have told her that because she didn't succeed in losing Mm. weight that she doesn't get to live with her mother anymore. Can you imagine?
0: Her mum. I can't even wrap my head. No.
1: I can't. She feels suicidal. I think I would too. I felt yeah. suicidal at her age and for a lot less. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I, I hope That's she's awesome.
0: hanging on. And I, I hope I want, that... to tell, I want to tell her that she is awesome. Yes. If she, if she ever gets to listen to this. Yes. But I know the impact. Like when I was 11, my mum left. Mm. And I remember like how mm. much it tore out my heart. Yeah. You're 11, 12, yeah. 13. This, mm. is, this is not the time to do this yeah. to kids. And like this whole idea, like the judge said something like, Oh, you know, gosh, this is going to be bad. But here, here it is. I'll read it to you. This is she actually wrote a letter to the kids. Oh, gosh. I know that you will feel that in making this order, that I'm taking something away from you to be able to live with your mother in your own familiar home. But I would like you to think that I'm giving you something. A chance to learn new ways of eating and exercise, which will benefit you for the rest of your life.
1: I hate that woman. I hate that I, judge so much. Literally, I feel it in my gut. Do you mm, feel it in your gut? I like, feel it in my stomach. It's I clenching. Like I yes. feel like vomiting. I feel like
0: vomiting because yeah. it's vile. Like yeah. this, the failure. Like the how? How dare she write that letter saying, mm. "I know you might feel like how, of course, you'd fucking feel, but I want you to like really like appreciate that you've been taught the yeah. right way to eat and not be fat."
1: Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that right way is of course we all know the wrong way anyway. So
0: that's <laughs> even to add
1: insult to injury. It's not like they put them in an intuitive eating program, is it? So oh, yeah, no. you're I, you're like
0: I love that there are people in the world like you who will write letters, like outrage letters <laughs> and start surveys. And I'm like disgusted in the whole of the UK for not signing that petition. You know, you're you're <laughs> taking your anger and you're channeling it. And I love mm. what you're doing on social Thank media. You. Thank you. Um, Even though you're getting pushback, of course, from um, the, the people who can't stand to have their authority challenged
1: that's okay. I understand that. I wasn't here to make friends and influence people. I wasn't, I wasn't there to get sponsorship deals and to, you know, get lots of likes and followers. I still don't think I understand social media, to be honest, but I wanted to be able to express something that is going on inside of me and has been going on inside of me for 20 years. And I needed to put it out there and I needed to put it out there and, and take responsibility. I think on behalf of the entire medical profession, because as far as I know, there aren't that many doctors that are doing this, to just mm. to say to people because you know we've really let you down we've massively failed you for years for, for decades we've let you down we've we've done terrible horrible things to you mm. and we are in the wrong and we are part you know I keep saying we're part of the problem we're not part mm. of the solution and we, and we need to change and if I if I make lots of enemies but I can force people I just force it down people's throats until they actually have to listen to me then I will have succeeded and then I will mm. pack up my bags and I will live a nice normal simple mm. life again but me too. I'm gonna- become a florist when we topple
0: diet (gasps) culture
1: amazing is that what you're going to do so we've got to get rid of diet culture so you can become a florist I haven't decided what I'm going to do but I like that idea I'm allergic to flowers so that wouldn't work for me but I'll (laughs) I'll think of something equally as good
0: (laughs) tell us about the um, health professionals against weight stigma group that you started yeah really early on these
1: pe- people actually have supported me so um I started with just Jeanette she's the mindset nutritionist on Instagram and she was one of the first people that came to me and just supported me and has been really helped me to understand about Pays and intuitive eating That's what she does and she was really kind and understanding and supportive and she's just one of the most lovely people in the world and uh, we started texting each other and it grew from there I said hey Jeanette do you want to you <laughs> Do you want to form a little group let's form a little group shall we and she said yeah great who should we get on board and then we started sort of asking around and people we knew and just friends and friends and um we are now six of us um coming from different places one's a, a, a pt amy's a pt nicola is a fertility coach and is amazing and knows everything there is to know about fertility that, oh, that yes, positive yes, fertility yes, yeah, yeah it's just yeah. fantastic carolyn's a beautiful artist but also doing a, a masters in well she's do, she's doing it in in, in weight stigma that's what her thesis Perfect. is about it's about yeah. weight stigma yeah. so she knows a lot about the public health um side of things and who've missed and um and Rach is a physiotherapist so we you know so she sort of represents a lot of allied professionals so we got together and we just said let's form a little group we had no idea what we're doing none of us have done this before mm-hmm. but if we can collect as much Lived experience, like almost like some test, like a, like a, I just want to collect like a big, like ring binder's worth of just page after page after page of this is what is Mm -hmm. being done to me. This is, this is what's happened to me. the, those lived experiences are so massively powerful because they are they are damning in a way mm. that nothing else is. You know that the, yeah. the GMC, the General Medical Council, the Nursing and Midwifery Council, the government, whomever, Public Health England, they cannot deny a big mm. giant bloody stack of lived testimonials saying this is what happened to me. And I was kind of hoping in the same way that that's what happened with the Me Too movement, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's what happened with a lot of different movements recently. People just came forward and, and told their stories and then enough stories were told and reported on. And eventually people went, oh, maybe we need to change the way we do things around here. And that's what I'm hoping that we'll be able mm-hmm. to do. Uh, also to support other health professionals as well um, who who want to be more haze-based or who's trying to learn, who trying to figure it out or who already are and just want to be able to support. One another, and to be, you know, we would like to be the people that the government call on because right now, when the government wants to ask advice, they go and call on, you know, Obesity UK or whatever charity. All these charities, so-called charities, they are they are funded by Mm. drug companies. They are not charities. They are biased as fuck, and I I cannot stand Mm. them. And so, Mm. we want to be the other group that gets a seat at the table that actually brings that haze perspective into things. So that's, that's what we're hoping exactly to achieve. what
0: we're trying to do here in Australia yes. with Haze Australia becoming the actual grassroots go-to for lived experience as opposed to, in, in our advocacy branch, as opposed to, you know, things like the Obesity Collective over here, which are kind of the same yeah. type yeah. of, um, they've yeah. got that whole Novo Nordisk marketing message of it's yeah. a chronic disease or illness yeah. or condition which requires yeah. medical management. I love that you're doing that.
1: We also are trying to do I mean we'd love to get involved in some more lobbying and stuff. There is um mm. there was a polit- politician who um, wrote something on their website a few weeks ago, that really pissed me off, and I I went off on one on Twitter. I went on a rant on Twitter, but he was talking about weight management services, which we haven't talked about. But in the UK, we we have all of these private companies now that um, we commission. Um, so local authorities will commission them to provide healthy living advice for fat kids essentially Mm. uh or adults but you know in this case children and the politician referred it as to it as a charity and it pissed me off because I knew I wonder who's behind that yeah I wonder who's behind that as well because you go and have a look this is a registered company that is making a profit and I got very very angry about the fact that this company was getting together with a whole bunch of politicians and they were they were making policy and um, because this company isn't invested in the well-being of children. This company is invested in profit-making. Mm. So are the drug companies that fund the charities. So, the, the, so mm. everybody is, is funded by organisations that are trying to make money out of weight loss. There is nobody who is sat at the table talking about the opposite. People mm. who are not interested. I'm not profiting in any way. What money have I made? I'm not making any money from... Mm. From, from peddling anything. So mm. nobody is sat there giving the alternative option where I'm not trying to sell weight loss. And if if you're trying to legislate, if you're trying to be fair and just and right, you have to hear both sides of the story. So yes. I'm hoping that Health Professionals Against Weight Stigma will become the other side mm. of the story. And I know How, that we're not the only group out there. Yeah, but
0: that's so terrific, though. How can people find you and join you and, like, help you topple it? So um, we do have a website now. what it is. I'll have to give I'll you the it, link. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Something to do. Oh, gosh,
1: Jeanette's going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we have a website and uh, we're on Instagram. as HP at, at HP against weight stigma so the HP and okay. health professionals the most important thing you can do is share your lived experience with us I mean that is mm. really ultimately the best thing you could do but if you are a health professional that's interested in finding out more get in touch we're hoping to do some teaching and some training soon and if you want to get involved and actually be part of the organization like we will bite your hand off we are mm. all overworked people running like two or three different things at the same time got kids at home so if you want to help out be part of it just yeah, the more the merrier. There's no, oh, gosh. you know, yeah. there's no, there's, just, as long as you are in line with where, you know, we are and you don't work for a drug company, we'll probably <laughs> say yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God, that's so terrific. Actually, isn't it interesting that all of these global O organisations yeah. who apparently care so much about weight stigma, yeah, like dust, like where were they when kids get removed from their families? Uh, yeah. Nowhere.
1: No, in fact, yeah. the
0: head of the um, World Obesity Federation who <laughs> cared deeply about weight stigma yeah. is um, Professor Bauer, Louise Bauer, who's the head of the Fast Track trial here in Australia, who back in 2012 when this stuff came out here in Australia also was advocating for child services to become involved if people don't wow. perform well in their weight management services.
1: What a surprise. There you go. You had a here first. So we weeks.
0: definitely need <laughs> we need the um the other side, like the you other said. side. Like the yeah. completely unfunded um, grassroots sides. Grass, yeah. actual grassroots, not yeah. artificial turf actual yeah. grass yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: We, we've, we've set up as a non-profit organization we don't plan to earn any money no profit needed anything that we you know any courses or whatever that we're putting on you know the money gets channeled back into this organization to help it to grow that is what we want we are not interested in uh, getting rich or famous here we're interested in helping people because we've all experienced it that's the thing is that all of us have experienced weight-based discrimination and are keen to eliminate I'm it to rid it. it from the world yeah
0: Oh, I bloody love you. You're awesome. Jito. <laughs> <did> <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. I could talk to you all day. But, yeah, yeah let's just keep the fire going. Yes. Thank Amazing. You. Just wow, am I right? Like me, you might feel kind of exhausted and needing to crawl under a doona after that conversation. But isn't she awesome? The things that she needs to do, just driven by rage, I, just, I feel like she is my spirit animal. And thank you so much, Natasha, for everything that you're doing and for staying up so incredibly late to have that amazing talk. So, look, if you are interested in the Fat Doctor and everything she's doing, and I'm sure you are, uh, you can find her in lots and lots of places because, like I said, she's everywhere. Let's have a look. Her website, Fat Doctor dot co dot uk on social media on Twitter at the Fat Doctor UK and Insta at Fat Doctor UK Doctor being like the actual spelling so D O C T O R and guess what she has started a podcast which you must listen to because it is epic and she is talking to awesome people doing just huge amounts of pushback it's uh, conveniently called the Fat Doctor Podcast really easy to find so please get on there listen to her. And um, she's just inspiring and, and doing a lot. During our conversation, we were also talking about the health professionals against weight stigma. And um, I'm happy to announce that I found the handles for that. So if you want to look at that on Insta, it's hpause, H-P-A-W-S on Insta. And the website is weightinclusivehealthcare.com. So those are very important movements that the fat doctor is involved with. And look, we have really looked into the abyss of awfulness that can come out of weight stigma, because I can't think of many things more horrific than kids being taken off their families because of their size. But we have also seen the formidable power of angry people. Who are determined to make a change, not based on profit, but based on a genuine desire to make this world a better place. So get on to Natasha and everything she's doing. And again, Natasha, you're a spirit animal. Whether you like it or not, we're friends for life. So thanks for an awesome conversation. That's it for this episode of All Fine Up. Thank you, everyone, for bearing with that very long conversation. I hope you're okay. Please stay safe, everybody. Until next time, trust your body think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap.